You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Ever? I've taught on prayer a lot of times in a lot of places. I have never had an intro as cool as that. Well, except for the 830 service. That is very cool. Thank you very much, Jill. Now I have to try to figure out how I'm going to have you guys go with me whenever I speak somewhere with her being in Guatemala. That's cool. Well, this morning, we're going to take just a little bit of a different um, approach to the message. Uh, My name is John Hart, uh, and I'm uh, the author of Secrets to Meaningful Prayer, and so the lead pastor here, Lynn, has invited me to speak these the last two weeks plus this week on prayer. And so uh, I know that uh, a lot of churches do a Father's Day emphasis on Father's Day, and I hope that you didn't come for that and become disappointed because we don't have a Father's Day message. But let me say this too. If you want to give as fathers, if you want to give the greatest gift to your family that you can, it would be to be the spiritual leader. If men would be the spiritual leaders of the family, that, that would be... So, th- so in a way, if I'm teaching you how to do that, this is a Father's Day message. Because that's exactly what we're going to learn this morning. But the thing that's going to make it different is normally I have one simple idea that I, that I try to bring out. And then I have a lot of application that goes with that. But I, I have this one, uh, I call it a GTP or governing theological principle that I talk about. And, and then all of the verses and so forth kind of tie to that. Today's going to be a little different in that um, I've got so much information that I would like to share with you about prayer. And although the church was gracious enough to let me do this for three weeks, I could do this for over three months and not run out of stuff. And so here I am praying about, okay, God, what's the main thing that you want me to teach these guys this week? I've only got one week left, and there's so much that I want to share. And so he gave me a lot of application. And I start saying, okay, that's a lot of application for one week because, you know, generally you don't want to have more than, you know, I like to have one main point. Some, you don't want to have more than three. I'm going to give you eight this morning. So that's a lot to, to track with, and I'm going to have to go through them real quick. Okay? So here's what, I'd like for you to, here's what I'd like to recommend that you do. is Even if you're not normally a note taker, um, this would be a good morning to be a note taker. And, and because all eight of these points are going to be in your bulletin, and you can fill in the blanks, and then cut that out and put it in your Bible. Because as you're learning to pray, as you're learning to seek God's will, and as you're trying to figure out why things are going on in your life and and why things are working out different than what you thought they might work out, sometimes it's good to have all eight of these listed out so that you can go to your Bible as you're praying and go, oh yeah, yeah, I need to ask that. Or oh yeah, I forgot about that. You know, I forgot that point. And so sometimes as you're going through, this will kind of give you a little bit of a guide. And I'm going to go, there's like 14. I'm only going to give you the eight main ones this morning. But I would recommend that you fill in the blanks and then put it in your Bible so that over time this all becomes habit for you. Okay, with that being said, our first week uh, we talked about how we go to God and we ask Him for stuff. How our prayer life has kind of been reduced down to simply asking God for stuff. And we we talked about how... um, we, ha- you know, we treat God like Santa Claus. And the really hard question that week, for those of you that weren't here, um, is if God wasn't going to give you anything else, would you still pray? And that was a hard question. Because for a lot of, 
for a lot of Christians, solid Christians who've been saved a long time, who really see, who really think that they're, you know, uh, praying Christians. If you took away asking for stuff, they wouldn't know what to say to God. What would we talk about? You know, that kind of thing. So that was a hard question. The second week, we looked at the importance of, we gave some examples about the volleyball story and Paul and Silas being in prison and that kind of thing. And we talked about the fact that we really don't know what we're even asking for. Or we don't know what we should ask for. We, you know, we're, we're so used to just asking God to give us what we want that we really don't know what we should ask for. So in the second week, we talked about the fact that we need to be seeking God's will and wisdom, not just asking Him for stuff, because we really don't know what to ask for anyhow. And I gave you some examples for that. And the hard question that week was, what if God asked you to go through something for His glory and for His honor? And he ultimately blesses you, but in the meantime, like Paul and Silas, they had to go through the dungeon to be his honor and to be his glory. What are you willing to go through for Christ? So that brings us up to today. And today, again, is, is, there'll be some scripture, but it, today's a lot of application, okay? A lot of real-world application. So there's eight keys. Here's key number one. One of the purposes of prayer is thanksgiving, and some of you are, are saying, well, you know, duh, we've kind of figured that. But what does Thanksgiving mean? See, Thanksgiving, I think, even in the Lord's Prayer, remember when he's, you know, uh, our Father which art in heaven, he goes into telling God how great he is at the beginning of the prayer. Okay? And I think that that, that is a part of our prayer is Thanksgiving to God, saying, God, you are everything. You are the reason that I live. You are the reason that I breathe. You are the reason that I have everything. Now, did God forget that? No. He knows that. He knows that, you're the, he knows that you have what you have because he's given it to you. You know, he gave you a brain that, that thinks to tell the heart to beat. And then the heart beats so that it can send blood to the brain so that the brain can think to make the heart beat. Right? He short circuits that one time and you're done. You know, he gave us oxygen. If he moved the oxygen up to the eight foot level, we'd either live on ladders or die. We can't even live without oxygen. Every single little thing that we have comes from Him. So when we pray, Thanksgiving needs to be a big part of that. Not because God forgot it, but because we do. Remember when Peter tried to get out of the boat and walk on the water? He did. And we give Peter a hard time because he sank and God had to save him kind of thing. I give him credit and thumbs up, dude. He's the only one that's ever walked on water besides Jesus. But what happened when he got his eyes off of Jesus and onto the waves? Started to sink. That's when Jesus had to save him, right? So what happens in our life is we've got a whole lot of stuff that's going on in our lives that's really good. Folks, we live in America, and on our worst day, we're better off than 95% of the world. On our worst day. But you know what happens? Financial crisis hits. Health crisis hits. uh, Rebellious kids a bad job or no job or whatever the case is and our focus gets on that and we forget the other 99 things that are going great in our life. Thanksgiving helps us to remember all of those things. Not not necessarily just for God's good. It's for our good. It's thanking Him because we need to remember what He's given us. Okay? So sometimes in my life, there have been times, and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. There's been times when you are almost so beat down, so discouraged, so uh, 
out of sorts, that it was even hard to pray. And you felt like God wasn't listening, and you're in this, you're in Paul and Silas, like you're in the dungeon, and things are bad, and you're kind of mad at God, and you don't even know what to pray, and you act like you, you feel like when you pray that the prayers don't even get past the ceiling. You ever been like that? Because I've been like that, just kind of despondent, just depressed. What I have found is when I start praising God, when I start thanking God, when I start giving thanksgiving like Paul and Silas were doing in the prison even though they didn't feel like it. We talked about that last week. That it doesn't change God and it doesn't even change my circumstances but it sure changes my outlook. Because I begin to thank God not for the few things that I don't have but I begin to thank God for all the things that I do have. And I just thank God, I thank you for, I thank you that you've given me another day. God, I think that you, that ultimately when I get to go to heaven, I'll have the victory. Whether I feel like I'm in defeat in this world or not. Ultimately, I've read the last page of the book. We win. We get to go to heaven. I, God, I thank you for that. I thank you for forgiveness for sins. I thank you that even when I'm a failure, you love me. You don't see me as a failure. God, I thank you that you gave me food today. Okay? Because there's a part of us... You know, there's a kind of a catchphrase going on um, in the media uh, about entitlement. Do you guys know what entitlement is? That's when we feel like we're owed stuff. Okay? There's a lot of people in society that feel they have a, an, an entitlement mentality. Uh, I was reading, I saw some on one of the news stations yesterday, there's a bunch of um, people picketing uh, college kids. Um, we deserve free college, we deserve a great education, we deserve this, we deserve that, we deserve free insurance, we deserve it because we're Americans, we deserve all this. Well, what happened to, you need to work for it? What happens to what the Bible says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat? What happened to that? We're not entitled to anything. My word, Jill, who's leading our praise and worship, is going to Guatemala. You know who she's going to be dealing with for six weeks down there? A bunch of kids who crawl across a garbage, what we would call a landfill. They're crawling across a landfill looking for scraps of food that somebody else threw out that isn't molded enough to where they can eat it. Okay? And we have three meals a day. Sometimes, as you can tell, really good meals or big meals or more than we need. And something goes bad in our life and we start whining. Because we have lost sight of what we have and we start looking at what we don't have. Thanksgiving short-circuits that. Thanksgiving will short-circuit that entitlement mentality and we will begin to thank God for what we have instead of focusing on what we don't have. Because as Christians, we don't need to have an entitlement mentality. And I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about, God, thank you for the food that you gave me today because I don't deserve it. Thank you, God, for giving me the food because if you didn't give me the strength and the knowledge to hold down a job, I couldn't even buy food. God, thank you for giving me a place to stay because I've got a bed to sleep in. I don't, I'm not only sleeping under a roof that doesn't always leak. I'm sleeping in a bed. We forget that because we've got an entitlement mentality. Well, yeah, I worked hard for that. You worked hard for that because God gave you the job and God gave you the strength and God gave you the knowledge to have that job and God opened that opportunity up for you. It's still from God. We'll talk about working hard for stuff in a little bit later, but I don't want us to have that, men, uh, that entitlement mentality. And so when we're giving God thanksgiving, we had a missionary that stayed with... Uh, with he wasn't a missionary. He was a, um, a pastor, and he was from Burma. Okay? 
and he came. He was going to go to seminary. He had already gone to seminary in his country. He wanted to go to a seminary in America. Has no money, very poor. So my parents said that he could live with them for two or three years while he went through seminary. Okay, so he's already a Christian. Got saved in Burma from some missionaries, and now he wants to lead his own people in their own church. And so he comes to stay with my parents, and right off the bat, he's a little nervous and wants to know if they worship idols. My parents? Are you kidding me? They're like super saints. I mean, here they are opening up their home to have somebody from another country come in and stay with them, and he wants to know if they're worshiping because he didn't want to stay in a house where they worship idols. And they go, and so there's a little bit of a language barrier, and they're trying to figure out what in the world are you talking about? No, we don't worship idols. He goes, idols like plates. Do you worship plates? And they went, no, we don't worship plates. Why would you think that we worship plates? He said, you keep them in little houses. Your plates have houses like idols. What? He's talking about cabinets. Not only did his family not have a plate for everybody in the family, they certainly didn't have houses to put the little plates in. See, we forget how blessed we are. We have houses for our plates and cups. So Thanksgiving helps to short-circuit that entitlement mentality and helps us to understand. You know what? This is going to sound silly, but there's times that that I'm just feeling like... um, I know, wrote a book on prayer. And there's times that I just feel like I, I, don't, even, I just don't even feel like praying today. I don't even want to ask for anything. I'm just kind of uh, beat down by the world or whatever. And so my whole prayer time, because I just I don't, even want to, I, I don't even I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm in this situation. I just, I'm just going to spend the whole time in, in thanksgiving. And I'll take a room, one room, and I'll thank God. I thank God for, that I have a room. I thank God that I have a separate room for a bedroom than I do for the kitchen. How cool is that? I want to thank God that in this bedroom, I've got a dresser. I've got a house for my clothes to live in. How cool is that? Not only do I have clothes, like enough to wear different clothes all the time, but I've got a house to keep them in. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, that I have a bed. Because some people sleep on the floor. Some people don't have a bed. Some people don't have a house. I've got a roof over my head that doesn't normally leak. That's a big deal. I've got air conditioning. Praise God for air conditioning. Have you, ever, you take that for granted till it breaks down. Thank God for air conditioning. There's a whole lot of the world that doesn't have air conditioning. You begin to thank God. I've got a door on the bedroom. I praise God that I can shut the rest of the world out sometimes and just sit and t- watch TV and... Oh, in my bedroom. I got a TV in my bedroom. How cool is that? Boy, it doesn't take long. Just taking one room out of the house and just really start thanking God for every little... And it seems silly, I know, but you start thanking God and it will totally turn your attitude upside down. Now, who got the good out of that? Jesus, God, or us? We did. So the key number one to prayer, one of the purposes of prayer is thanksgiving. And the other thing, I don't, see, I'm going to spend too much time on this, and I'm going to have to rush through the rest of them. The other thing is, why don't we ask, why don't we thank God as long as we ask Him for stuff? You ever thought about that? We'll, we'll ask God for God, I need a new car. God, my car's breaking down. God, I'm putting too much money in this car. God, I'm just tired of driving this old jalopy around, and i got to go to work. God, you know i got to work. And so, you know, this is a need, not a want. And, I mean, it can be a Corvette if you want to, but I need a car, and... and 
and, and, and we pray, and we might pray for two years that God will give us a car. God gives us a car, and if we're on, having a good day, we'll say, thank you, God, for the car. Thank you, God. If we're doing good, because normally we just say, awesome, I got a car, and we're so excited about the car, we don't even thank God for it. But let's say that we do, because we're so spiritual now that we've had this uh, whole sermon on prayer, you know, that we're real spiritual, so we thank God for the car. Do we thank him for two years? Thank you. It's about time. I've been praying for two years. And we're done. We'll pray for a family member to be saved. We'll pray for 10 years for somebody to be saved. And when they get saved, we say, thank you, Jesus. That's the last he hears of <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Why? Because the only reason we're praying is to get stuff. Well, once we get it, we don't need to pray no more. That's bad. Do you agree? If, I mean, that's, that's another sign that the only reason that we pray for stuff is to get stuff. Because as soon as we get it, why pray anymore? I'll challenge you. Write your prayer request down. Have you a note pad? Have the date that you start asking for it. Have the specifics of what you're asking. And have the date that he answers it. Okay? And then so you start asking in January for a new job. And he gives you a job the next January. Then you thank him for it every day till the following January. At least thank him as long as you've asked for it. How's that? Is that not a good idea? Show him that we're grateful for what he's given us. But thanksgiving is more for us. The second key to prayer is worship. Now, I say that this, this thanksgiving is more for us. Worship is more for God. But you know what? Actually, it's us that gets a lot out of worship. Because it's a part of prayer is to honor God, to worship God, to tell him who he is, to tell him how great he is. But you know what that does? It reminds us of how great he is. There's been a lot of times in my life where, you know, I've had bad stuff that happened to me, just like all of you have had bad stuff that happens to you. And I have found that there is absolute power in the very name of Jesus. And there's times that I would just say, Jesus is Lord over this situation. Jesus is Lord over this situation. And it doesn't matter how I feel. Jesus is Lord over this situation. And I'm uncomfortable, but Jesus is Lord over this situation. And I'll tell myself all the way to work that Jesus is over this situation. And I dread going into work, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is Lord over this situation. And he knew he was Lord over this situation. So who got the good out of that too? Me, because I'm reminding myself that Jesus is Lord over this situation. God has got this in control. God said he would never leave me nor forsake me. And even though I feel forsaken, he said he wouldn't. So he has not forgotten me. He has not forsaken me. Why on earth would he count how many hairs are on my head and then overlook something like this catastrophe that I'm living through right now? He hasn't. And I know that. Praise God he loves me enough. To keep track of me. Praise God. He said that if a bird falls to the ground. That he knows about it. Every bird that dies. Every bird that he knows about it. How much more important am I than a bird? He said. Thank you for that. Because Jesus is Lord over this situation. And you know what happens? Get your eyes off the wave that's crashing over you. And put your eyes back on the master. And you begin to walk on the very water that was getting ready to drown you. I'm telling you. There's power in the name of Jesus. David, uh, in Psalms, Psalms 34, 3, uh, let's go ahead. It says, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. This is David. Now, David says this several times, and there's actually other people in the, in the Bible that say the same thing. But David talks about magnifying the Lord. 
and, and I used to read that, and I didn't really, that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because God is God. How are you going to make him any bigger? <laughs> you know, how am I going to magnify God and make him any bigger? And I didn't really understand that until I, until I was listening to something that made me understand that when we magnify something, we don't change the something. We magnify it. If I can't read this paper and I magnify it, the paper didn't change. My understanding of it changed. It got bigger so that I could understand it better. It got larger so that I could see it better. If I take a magnifying glass and I look at a bug on the ground, then all of a sudden what this looked like this little critter on the ground all of a sudden becomes this magnificent creature with all these kinds of colors and all this cool stuff. And it magnifies. It didn't make the bug any different. It made my understanding of the bug different. When we magnify the Lord, we hold a magnifying lens up to the Lord and, and we begin to understand Him better. We begin to see Him in a different light. We begin to see the details of Him. We begin to see His plan in our life. It doesn't make God any bigger. It makes our understanding of Him bigger. And David says, we need to magnify the Lord. And that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say worshiping God. When I begin to say to myself, when I be, there, was, there was one time in my life that I was so mm, bent out of shape, distorted or whatever, that I dreaded every day. I, I just I dreaded getting up. And I would wake up in the morning and I would lay there and I, before I could even get up and start taking my shower and have my prayer time, I would, I would pray that God would just... I would just wake up and say, Jesus, you are Lord over today. You are Lord over this situation. You are Lord over everything that's going to happen to me today. Jesus, you are in control of this. I have lost control of this. I'm a train wreck, but you are not a train wreck. And in the midst of my sea and in the midst of my turmoil and in the midst of my waves, God, you are the anchor. You are still stable. None of this caught you off guard like it caught me off guard. Man, you pray like that for a few minutes, I could get out of bed again. You see what I'm saying? It didn't change God. It magnified God to me. And I began to remember. I brought to my own remembrance that God was in control. That, God, that Jesus was Lord over my life. There's power in the name of Jesus. And we should magnify the Lord. So key number one is thanksgiving. Key number two is to worship and magnify the Lord. Now, there's a tension in the Bible that with any kind of series on prayer that we kind of need to deal with. And it starts with Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing. For the sake of time, I'm going to kind of skip through some of this. And, uh, because you'll know the passage of Scripture when we get to it. But Matthew 6, 5 through 8 uh, talks about how we should pray. And when we pray, it's not, it shouldn't be out for other people to hear. We shouldn't be praying to try to impress people and that kind of thing. But then when it gets down to the bottom, verse 8... Uh, it says, so don't be like that. Don't, don't, don't pray for the sake of other people and you're trying to act all super spiritual and that kind of thing. He said, so don't be like that. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask. And we've all heard that. If we've been in church any amount of time, we know that God knows what we need before we even ask, right? But then he goes, in James, he says something kind of backwards to that. And he's talking about why we're in such turmoil and why we argue with each other and why we argue inside of ourselves. And he's talking about the fact that it's, it's, we have all these desires and lust and, and uh, not just lust for women or men, but, but lust for things. We want new cars. We want new houses. We want new SUVs. We want all this. And, and so there's all this you know, turmoil going on inside of us. And he said that you have... Let's see. Excuse me. Uh, from whence come wars and fightings among you? They come... Uh, do they not 
See, I don't even, I can't even read in King James anymore. Sorry. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and you have not, you kill, you desire to have, but yet you cannot obtain. You fight, you war, yet you have not. Why? Because you ask not. Now, as a clarifier, he says, now, there's times that you do ask and you still don't get it because you're just asking for the wrong reason so that you can consume it upon your own desire. But here we have Matthew telling us that I know what you need before you even ask it. And then James is saying, yeah, but there's stuff that you don't have because you didn't ask. Well, why do I have to ask if Jesus knows what I need? If Jesus knows what I need before I even know what I need, then why would he not give it to me until I ask for it? See, there's a little bit of a tension there. What do we do with that? And I, and, I want, and I want to explain it to you. And this is the third key, and you're filling the blank. Because it's about the relationship. Jesus knows what you need. He wants you to know who it's coming from. He wants to break this cycle of entitlement and let you understand that you need Him. He knew that you needed a new car. You needed to know that He was the only way that you were ever going to get one. He knew that you needed food. He wants you to know that He's the reason that you've got it. He knows what needs you have in your life. The reason He wants you to ask is because you need to know that he's the only way that he, he's the only supplier you've got. He's the only one that can make your heart beat. He's the only one that can give you oxygen to breathe. He's the only one that can make a way. He's the only one that can make victory out of this train wreck that we call our lives sometimes. He's the only one that can do that. That's the reason we need to ask. I remember this one time I was at, I can tell you, I know exactly where the church, I know exactly which building, and I know exactly where I was at at the altar. And I was at a time in my life where I was a, uh, the CEO of a, of, a, of a corporation, pretty good-sized corporation, bunch of employees, and some things had happened that were out of my control, and it was a, it was a train wreck. It was, it was a, a very, very difficult time in life, and I was under a whole lot of pressure and a whole lot of stress, and I was having to ask God to make a way financially every day. And I remember that night going to the altar and kneeling at the altar, and I said, God... I am sorry to have to come to you again and ask you for the same thing again that I've asked you for so many times. I, I can tell you, I mean, that's exact the, word, the exact words I used. I remember this like it was yesterday and it was 10 years ago. Because I remember him, I remember somebody saying, what are you sorry for? And I opened my eyes and looked around because I thought, oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> you know. And I realized there was nobody there. But it was, it was so loud when he spoke that night. It was as if, I, I mean, I literally turned around because I thought somebody was behind me. And then I realized it must have been God. And I went, huh? He goes, what are you sorry about? And I went, oh, well, I'm sorry because I'm having to come to you again and ask you for the same thing again to help me again to get through another day again through another week again, and I just, I, I feel like a little kid coming to you and just begging and begging, and I'm just sorry that I even have to come to you and ask you again for your help. I'm exhausted. 
And he goes, oh, okay, okay. What, point, what, what, what do you want me to do for you? I said, well, I'm not asking for the world. I'm just, I just want you to give me enough to where I can, so I can get ahead a little bit so that I don't have to keep coming to you and asking you every day. For, ooh, I mean, the words weren't even out of my mouth, and I realized what I had just said. What was I really asking him for? Just give me enough. Just get me ahead, God. Just get me ahead enough to where I don't have to come to you and ask you every day. Ah, he's kind of, it's almost like I could hear him laugh. He goes, you know what? I'm not interested in that. I said, I know. I, I knew it. As soon as I said it, I knew it. So can you get me through this week? He said, I got you. And then I realized it's, it's about the relationship. Jesus could have turned my situation upside down just like that. He could have changed my life. He could have, I could have opened a bag of M&Ms and won a million dollars. I'd have been... All this would have been behind me. But what I was really wanting was my comfort back. I was very uncomfortable. I was tired of having to ask God. I was, having to see, I was tired of having to go to Him and ask Him for stuff. And what I was really wanting is for Him to give me enough so that I didn't have to go back to Him and ask Him for some more. You see what I'm saying? I was more concerned with, my, with getting what I wanted than I was with the relationship. So as we deal with the relationship it will begin to break that bond of, of that entitlement. Now, switching gears. The next key is that we need to, now, now that we understand that, that it's all about the relationship, we need to go to God daily and ask Him what He wants us to accomplish that day. Now, this is a strange thing for a lot of Christians. I mean, a lot of people who have been saved a long time tell me that they find this to be very strange. To actually go to God and ask Him, what is it that you want me to accomplish today? Because we're very, very busy people. We're way too busy. I think we're a lot busier than God really intends it for us to be. Um, but that's a whole other... Again, I could do a whole week on each of these. But, but you, know, you already know today, most of you know today, what you're going to do tomorrow. You know what time you're going to get up. You know when you're going to brush your teeth. You know that you're going to take a shower. You know that you're going to get ready. You know that you're going to eat breakfast. You know you're going to be at work by this time. You're going to work until this time. Then you're going to take lunch till this time. And then you're going to work again until this time. And then you've got this to pick up and the kids to pick up. And you've got to do this and you've got to coach the ball team. And then you've got to get home and fix supper or eat supper. And, and then you know that you, know, you might have time to watch TV or maybe not. So your day's planned. You got it. Every day. We're busy. I get it. I know, I am. So the problem is that we go to God and we go, okay, God, here's the agenda for the day. I got to get up, I got to do this, I got to take a shower, I got to brush my teeth, got to go to work, got to work here, got to do this, got to take my lunch, got to come home, got to coach the kids. Okay, so God, all this stuff is my agenda, so bless it, please. I just need you to bless my agenda. I already know what I'm going to do. I've already decided what I'm going to do because I know what's best for me. I'm just asking you to bless it. And we've never sat down and asked God, okay, you know what? Of all the things that I've got to do to, tomorrow, or, 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 or if you're praying early in the morning, of all the things that I've got to do today, God, what is, the, what, is, what is the thing that you want me to accomplish today? What's the one thing that you, what is your agenda? Because I'd be a whole lot better off if I work off of your agenda than if I work off of my agenda and quit. I'm asking you to bless my agenda. I don't want to do that. I want to ask you what your agenda is. 
But then you know what? That takes time. That takes time and it takes quiet and it takes you learning the, the voice of God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, a little bit later, what that looks like. But I'm telling you, to sit down and, and to be quiet with God and to say, God, of all the things that I really need to accomplish today, because I really do need to go to work or I'll get fired or I really do need to work because I've got to buy groceries. But, and I've got these other things that I really need to do. But, but, but I really want to know what your agenda is today. I really want to know what it is you want me to accomplish today. And there's been times that I have asked God that, and He has told me specifically what I'm going to need to do. There's been times that I've asked God that, and He would just tell me, just be aware, there's somebody I need you to talk to today. Well, then I, see, see, then all day I'm kind of in anticipation. Okay, who is it? Who do you want me to talk to? Well, okay, so you've got an opportunity for me today. What kind of opportunity? Is it like an investment opportunity, or is it like a business opportunity, or is it like a, a, a lead somebody to the Lord type opportunity? What is it? And sometimes he tells me, sometimes he doesn't. But I'm asking him, what is your agenda? And sometimes he'll just tell me enough to kind of get me excited. So then I go through the day looking for what it is that he wants me to do. And there was, there was one day that he told me, remember that t-shirt, see I'm a screen printer, that's what I've done for 20 something years, I screen print t-shirts, it's kind of a, you know, a, a simple way to make a living, but that's what I do, and, and so I was in my prayer time, and I'm saying, God, what is your agenda today, and, and he said, remember, t-shirts is what you do for a living, that's not who you are, okay, what, is, I don't, what does that mean, he goes, just remember, that my agenda is more important than printing T-shirts. I said, oh, I know that. I know that. He said, well, keep that in mind. Okay. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. At that time, that's just what he told me. I don't know what that means. But I'm kind of going through the day going, okay, he told me that for a reason. What, 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 does, this, what does this look like? And, and I remember I had a very busy day. <clears throat> and I had a, a vendor that I had to stop and see. And then I had a, a very large uh, sales call to do after that. And uh, I just about didn't go to the vendor because I thought, if I get caught up talking, I'm going to miss my sales call. Um, and I had a specific time set aside. Um, but I, I said, no, I'm going to go ahead and knock this out. So I stopped by my vendor, and, uh, and I pick up my stuff. And, and I, I, I mean, I was in and out of there just about in three minutes. And, and God said, ask her how she's doing. So I said, how you doing? She said, I'm fine. I said, good, God, she's fine. And God said, no, ask her how she's really doing. He does this to me a lot. Because when you ask somebody, how you doing? Everybody goes, I'm fine. You know, we're not fine. Most of us are not fine. You know, we just say that because nobody really cares. <laughs> nobody really, you know, they don't really want to know your story. And God said, ask her how she's really doing. And I said, how are you really doing? And she went, oh. And I went, oh. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. That's what was, that's what was going through my mind. So she, and she's a Christian. And, and so she, and she was struggling with some stuff. And I was asking God. I said, God, you know, show me what, show me what I need to say. But more importantly, maybe show me what not to say because I tend to talk too much. And so I'll throw out a whole bunch of verses. And, and sometimes people just need you to listen. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally, as she's talking, I'm praying. I'm asking God, give me wisdom to know what to say and, and what not to say. And, I, and I'm listening to her pour out her heart over this issue in her family. And one of her employees comes up and stands there. Read. We're having a conversation here, and she's pouring out her heart about her family, and he's standing there, just standing there. So she kind of gets done, 
And I began to, um, to, to share a little bit of scripture with her. And God says, you're not sharing scripture with her. You're sharing it with him. I said, okay, well, she's asking the question. I'm just asking. <laughs> he said, you're, share, you're sharing the scripture. So I began to answer her situation, if you will. Talking about how God is in charge of our lives. Talking about how God is the one that we get peace. Talking about God, kind of like I'm talking to you about the, looking at the wave instead of looking at the, the one that's in charge of the waves. Look, talk, worried about tomorrow instead of worried about, instead of worried about the one who holds tomorrow. You know? and, and I'm talking to her about that. She knew all that. I mean, and it, it encouraged her and it helped her. But then when I got done, I looked at him and I said, do you know what that's like to have that kind of peace? Do you know what it's like to be crushed in this world and have stuff falling apart and know what it's like to have a Savior that's in charge of all this? Do you know what it's like to have a peace that no matter how bad today is, that you know that God's in charge and that he will see you through? He said, no, I don't know what that's like. I said, do you know who Jesus is? He goes, oh, yeah, I've been in church for I haven't been in church lately, but I've been in church a lot. I know exactly who Jesus is. I said, do you believe that he's real? Oh, yeah, I believe he's real. So have you ever asked him to forgive you of your sins? Because if you don't ask him to forgive you of your sins, then your knowledge of him doesn't do you any good. He will only come inside of you and live you. You only become his son when you accept that forgiveness. Have you ever done that? And he said, no. I said, do you want to do that right now? He said, yeah. And I led him to the Lord right there in her office. Totally blew my last sales call. Didn't even show up. Stood him up. Because by the time I was done with him, it was already an hour past what that sales call would have been. Now think. How big a deal is that? I called the customer. said, you know what? I got held up. I was in a place I couldn't even call you. Uh, and, and I hope you're not mad, but if you are, I mean, I didn't say this to him, but if you are, that's okay. Somebody's going to heaven for all of eternity. That's more important than the sales call. And he said, no big deal. We'll do it tomorrow. I still got to make the sales call the next day. But somebody now is going to heaven for all of eternity because I had sought Jesus that day and asked him what his agenda was. And he had me on the lookout for that opportunity. Now, listen, I understand that work is important. Okay, And I understand that that's how we buy groceries, is because we work. But when I get to heaven, Jesus is not going to ask me how many t-shirts I printed. But forever, eternity will be changed because of, of the people that I get to lead to the Lord. And sometimes it's not leading them to the Lord. Sometimes it's just helping them through a hard time in their life. There was a truck driver that came up. To make a delivery. And, and he backs the truck up and that kind of thing. And, and we're unloading. And I said, how are you doing today? And he said, I'm doing good. And God said, ask him how he's really doing. And I went, oh, really? You know, it's one of those days I was busy. And I said, eh. He said, ask him how he's really doing. And I said, how are you really doing? He looked at me. I'm all right. I said, all right. I said, well, now, all right and fine is two different things. Are you fine or are you just all right? He started crying. He sat down in his truck and cried. Now, for those of you that don't have truck drivers that deliver to you, they don't generally sit down and cry. And he began to share with me what had just happened in his life that turned his life upside down. And it was pitiful. It's like the perfect storm, all of these things that hit him at one time. 
And I begin to ask him how he felt about God. How does that make you feel about God? Does that make you mad at God? Yeah, I, I, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, actually it does. You know, and I begin to share some stories with him like I've shared stories with you. And, and it radically changed his attitude because there's some times that we're so deep into the forest that we can't even see the trees. And we need somebody on the outside to remind us that, yeah, I know the wave is big. I know the storm is awful, and I know the night is dark, but I know who's in charge of the storm. I know who will see you through. I know where your hope comes from, because I'd ask him if he was a Christian, and he was. And I was able to share with him and, and totally change and encourage him. You know what? To this day, I have no idea how many shirts we printed that day. Oh, no, I don't know. But I still remember that story. I still remember sitting in the back of his truck with him. Why? Because it made a difference. There's meaning and there's purpose and there's life in that. T-shirts is just what I do for a living. That's not who I am. That is who I am. Are we in tune enough with God's agenda that he has the opportunity to, to give us those kinds of opportunities? Or are we so busy with our agenda that we don't really ask him because we're scared to death? He'll tell us to do something and I'm busy. I don't have enough stuff on my plate without God adding anything to it. Are we just asking him to bless our agenda? Or are we asking him what his agenda is? So daily, we need to be asking God what he wants us to accomplish that day. Now, key number five. And I know, I'm sorry, I'm having to rush. Key number five. Unanswered prayer may not be a no. It may be a wait. Because it may be a timing issue. Now, when I was a little boy and I'd go to my dad and I'd ask him for stuff. Yes was not the only answer that he had. I know that shocks you, but your dad, because your dad probably gave you everything that you wanted. But my dad had lots of answers. Yes was one of them, and he used it sometimes. He also used no, he also used are you crazy, and not on your life, or not right now, or I don't think that you're ready for that yet, or any number of other answers that he had. But see, we go to God, and the only answer we want is yes. Because we're going to him to ask him for stuff. So God, I really, really need that Corvette. Okay, Will you please make a way for me to have a Corvette? Okay, The only answer we want is yes. I don't don't want to hear wait. I don't want to hear no. I don't want to hear I've got better plans for you than that. We just want the yes. But there's times, and there are times that God's going to say no. I know what the future holds. I know what's best for you. And I know that you think that you want this, but no. The answer is no. Sometimes. And we need to be okay with that. We need to trust our God and we need to know that He loves us enough that when He says no, we go, okay. Wow, He must have just saved me from some kind of calamity because He said no and He wants good stuff for me. So if He says no, it has to be for a reason. But it also might be a timing issue. When we go to John 11, I'm going to have to really kind of breeze through this. So I'm not going to cover the whole thing. Because I love this story. And everybody knows the story of Lazarus when he died and God raised him from the dead. Everybody knows that since the you know, vacation Bible school. But there's parts of this that I want you to see that, that I, I, even though I knew the story and I'd heard it a hundred times, I didn't really see this until I was reading it in context with prayer. 
So there was a, there was a guy sick, and his name was Lazarus, uh, and he was the brother of Mary and, and Martha. You remember Mary and Martha? Martha was uh, the one that was busy and wanted to take care of Jesus, and Mary was the one that broke the perfume on his feet and wiped, wiped his feet with her hair and that kind of thing. That's Mary and Martha. This is their brother, Lazarus. Okay, Jesus, there was good friends with him, and he stayed at their house whenever he was in that, when that, in that area because there's several other passages where it talks about him being at their house other than just this time and the time that she wiped his feet with her hair. So he was good friends with him. And so the sisters sent to Jesus because he was in a different town, and they said, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And Jesus said that, said, hey, listen, this sickness is not to death, but, but look, look at this, the last two lines, but for the glory of God. That the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then, next, next we skip a couple verses. And when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he did what any good friend would do. He rushed immediately to his side to heal him. And instantly answered their prayers. Is that what it says? He hung out for two more days. See, we, don't, we don't really want a God that hangs out for two more days. We ask him for stuff. We need it right now, God. Okay, this bill's coming up soon. I need money today. I need you to help me in my marriage today. I need you to help me in my job today. And the only thing that we're... We're not interested in the big picture. We're not interested a lot of times until you heard these three sermons because hopefully things have changed. You weren't interested in glorifying God in your, in your life. You were just worried about getting what you wanted. So, and here we have a situation where somebody who, who Jesus genuinely loved, who was genuinely his friend, and he heard that he was sick unto death, and he hung out for two more days. Next verse. Because then Lazarus dies, and the disciples are confused by that because Jesus said, well, he won't die, and they're confused. And um, Jesus said to them plainly, yes, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake. Now that's cold. Is that not cold? She says, I'm glad he's dead. Well, that's just mean. I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there so that, or to the intent that, you might believe. Now, nevertheless, let's go to him. We'll skip a couple of verses because. The, the disciples were then all worried because Jesus had already had death threats in the area that they were going. And they said, we really shouldn't be going back there. He's dead already. Let the dead bury the dead. We don't need to be going back there because we'll end up being dead too. And, and Jesus said that we're going. So Jesus gets there. And, you know, this is the whole part where they said, God, if you'd have just been here, Lazarus would have never died and that kind of thing. And, and Jesus wept. You know, the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. Do you, do you think he was weeping because Lazarus was dead? I don't think so. Because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Why would he be crying over Lazarus? I think that he was crying because here are the dearest, closest, most devoted friends that he's got. And they still don't get it. If you'd have just been here, he wouldn't have died. He said, I'll do... But do you believe? Yeah, I believe in you. And I believe he'll be raised from the dead. Jesus says, I'll raise from the dead. Yeah, I know he'll be raised from the dead in the final days in the rapture. Jesus said, no. And Jesus cried, because, and, I, and I really believe it's because even his closest people still didn't get it. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be in the midst of a bad situation. I don't want to be in the midst of, of my dreams dying 
and have so little faith in Christ and what he can do in me and through me that it makes Jesus cry. Because I really believe it's their lack of faith that made him cry. That, sorry, that was free. That don't cost you anything extra. That really doesn't have anything to do with today. So then, Jesus, let's see, uh, thir- verse 39, Jesus says, Take away the stone. And Martha goes, uh, Wait a minute. He's been dead for four days. Okay? That's nasty. He's going to stink by now. And Jesus said to her, Did I didn't tell you that if you would believe you'd see the glory of God? Take away the stone. Now, I've heard that, and I know the story, and you guys know the story too, but, but ask yourselves, if God's getting ready to raise somebody from the dead, would the rock really be a problem for him? If Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, do you think that he could probably move the rock himself? He could call down a thousand angels to move the rock. He could take his finger and like that, and the rock would move itself. He could make it disappear. He could make Lazarus walk through it. I mean, he's getting ready to raise somebody from the dead for crying out loud. What big deal is the rock? Have you ever thought about that? But he told him to move the rock. They begin to argue with him. Oh, I don't think you understand, God. He stinks. This is nasty. And Jesus didn't do the miracle until they moved the rock. This is what I want you to see. Key number six. I believe. Excuse me. I need to go back to key number five. Unanswered prayer may not be a no. It may be a timing issue. All of this story about Lazarus is about timing. Had Lazarus been raised from his sickness, he would be like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people who Jesus had made well. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus needed him to be dead. Jesus needed him to be dead, wrapped in grave clothes, and put in a, in a cave with a rock over it, dead. Wrapped in linen, embalmed, dead. Because he really wanted him to see his glory. And it wasn't going to happen any other way. It was the timing Jesus wasn't waiting, hanging out for two days until Lazarus died because he was cold or calloused or didn't care. He postponed the miracle until the miracle could be the most effective in the life of Lazarus. And there's times in your life that you're praying for stuff and God's not coming through yet. And you keep praying and he's not coming through yet. And it's not because he's forgotten you and it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he's got a plan for you and the timing isn't right. So that's key number five. Is the timing. The second key is that I believe. With having going back to the rock. I believe that we need to do all that we can do. In the natural world. And then. We'll see Jesus do what we can't do. Supernaturally. I believe we must do all that we can do. In the natural world. We have to roll the stone away. We have to show our faith. We have to show Jesus that we believe in him, that we believe he's getting ready to do this. And we have to take the, make the effort to roll the stone away. And then Jesus will do the part that we couldn't have done. If we'll do the natural, Jesus will do the supernatural. You cannot sit at your house and say, man, I lost my job. It's been about six months. But you know what? I'm praying every day. God will give me a job. How many applications did you fill out? Well, I ain't filled out no applications. I'm waiting for God to send me a job. Got the phone right there. 
They'll just call me. Aren't they? Whenever God's ready. That's, see, that's not how prayer works. You move the stone. God will make the miracle. You, my, my marriage is a wreck. And, and me and my wife don't get along. And I don't know how much longer we can live like this. And, and, uh, you know, but we're praying every day. I'm just praying every day. God will fix our marriage. Well, that's, that's great. What kind of marriage counseling are you going to? We ain't going to marriage counseling. We don't need marriage counseling. We got God. God will fix it. See, that's what we do. We're not careful. God, God might have a wonderful, awesome miracle waiting for you. He's just waiting for you to roll the stone. He's waiting for you to do what you can do in the natural so that he can take care of the supernatural. Key number seven. See, I hate just cutting it off like that and going to number seven. There's so much stuff there that I want to tell you. We've got to keep going. Number seven. When in doubt, don't. There's a lot of times that, that I'm praying about stuff and I just cannot get a clear answer from God. And my default answer is don't. When in doubt, don't. God, I have been offered this job and promotion and, and it's a lot more pay. And I really need to know if you want me to take it. Because in the past, before I started praying about stuff like this, I would just took it because it was more money. But now, God, I understand that I don't know the future. And I want to know what your will is. So, God, I want you to tell me whether I can take this job or not. And you need to hurry because they're closing applications in 30 minutes. <laughs> God, I need, you to tell, I need you to give me an answer right now. Don't. God is perfectly capable of speaking to you clearly when the timing is right. So if you're in doubt, don't. And don't go to God and say, God, I need, uh, I need a new car. I need a new SUV. This one I've got, it's got like 60,000 miles on it. I just can't, can't live with it another day. I need a new SUV. But I tell you what, God, um, you know, if you don't want me to have it, you just close the door. That's what we want God to do is always close the door. God, you just close the door. Now, I got a credit score of 800, a perfect credit score of 850. But, God, if you don't want me to have it, you just turn me down. That's crazy. Go to God and say, God, I would like to have a new car. It's not a need. I, I, I thank you that I've even got a car. I would like to have a new car. Is that okay with you? You've blessed me, and I've got some money, and so I would like to have a new car. And you'd be surprised at how many times he says yes, because he really wants nice things for us. You'd be surprised how many times he says yes. But see, we don't, we, we just say, can I have it, God? Can I have it? Well, I, I really need to make a decision, God. Uh, okay, look, I waited like three days. I prayed for this for three days, and he didn't answer, so I'm just going to go and get it. That's exactly what Abraham did. God told him, I'll give you a son, and, and you will be blessed through that son, Isaac. He didn't say Isaac at that time. He said, I'll give you a son. And, and Abraham waited, and he waited, and he was 100 years old, and and. He finally said, oh, you know, because he's tired of waiting. And, and he said, you know what? God must have meant. And, and, and culturally, see, this, this wasn't adultery or, or anything um, weird like we think it is in our, in our American culture. But his wife had a slave. And so if you had no descendants, you had no, nobody to leave everything to. So you needed a son. So if you didn't have a son, you could have a son by your slave girl. And he said, that must be what God meant. 
I've been waiting all this time. And Hagar, God must have meant Hagar. So he had a son by Hagar. His name was Ishmael. And it caused all kinds of strife in the marriage. All kinds of strife in the marriage. And to this day, the descendants of Ishmael hate, hate the descendants of Isaac. Because Iran would just as soon blow Israel off the map. And Iran is the descendants of Ishmael. He got, he got his Isaac. He got his promise from God. He got a whole lot of trouble along with it because he wasn't willing to wait on God. When in doubt, don't. You'll just mess things up. Wait on God. Key number eight. None of this study, none of the things that we've talked about, none of the three weeks, and especially today, none of this is going to help you unless you're willing to spend time with God. John 10, 27, Jesus says, and he says this in a lot of different places, but he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and in other places, and they know me, and they follow me. But you know what? The sheep don't know his voice the first day that they get a new shepherd. They're like us. They're dumb. They don't. I mean, it takes them a while to learn the voice of the shepherd. But you know what? Over time, you learn the voice of your kids. You don't believe me? Go to Chuck E. Cheese. There's more noise in Chuck E. Cheese than, than at, at NASA during a space shuttle launch. I mean, there's just noise. And you'll hear some little kid, one of 50 that's, that gets hurt and says, Mama! And not every mama in there turns around. But that mama does. Because that mama knows that voice. We need to know the voice of Jesus like that. But that doesn't come without a whole lot of time and a whole lot of nurturing and a whole lot of listening. And, and up until now, up until three weeks ago, up until you started getting serious about prayer, perhaps, you haven't spent any time listening. Everything you did was talking. That God, please help us with this. And God, please bless this. And thank you for this. And help us with this. And fix this. Amen. And you left. You never sit there and listen. And people tell me that this is the most uncomfortable thing for them to do, is to learn to listen to God. Because they said, what's he sound like? I said, you'll, he's, you'll, you'll find out. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Does he not? So God can speak to you through the word of God. And he does. He, obviously he does. He spoke to me. He's made stories come alive to me. I mean alive. Stories that I've heard a hundred times. And I read it again and it's like it's a brand new story. And he shows me stuff that I've never seen before. He speaks through his word of God. And he speaks through others. And he speaks through pastors. And I'm not minimizing that at all. But I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and He can speak to you. And sometimes, if you're lucky, you'll open your eyes and turn around because you think somebody heard you. I have had times where I have spun around because it startled me because the voice was so loud. I have had Him radically change my direction because I was asking Him what I needed to do and He spoke very clearly. Oh, I live for those days. doesn't happen very often, but I live for those days. But there's a lot of times... A lot of times that that still small voice, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, His Spirit speaks to my spirit, and I just get it, and I know what He wants me to do. I love that too. But that comes with time, and it comes with quiet. And see, the problem is that we're so busy that we feel like we don't have time to pray. And Paul says, 
in First Thessalonians that we should pray continuously. So I, I don't just, ha- I mean, I have my prayer time in the morning. I have that. But I also pray throughout the day. Just like I was telling you about when I went to that vendor, as she was telling me her story, I was praying, asking God to tell me what to tell her and what not to say. You see what I'm saying? We're praying all the time. Listen, have you ever thought about turning the radio off in your car? Mm. Some of y'all had cars that's got 100,000 miles on them and the radio's never been off. Because that's just what we do. We get in, we turn the radio on because we're bored. Hit the button. Have you ever thought about the fact that you drive 20 minutes to work every day? You could pray all the way to work and back and have a 40-minute prayer life just turning your radio off. Not that those DJs don't have great information that can change your life. But God does, for sure. You're not going to miss a whole lot on the radio, but you will miss something if you don't spend time with God. While you're working out, while you're on your lunch break, ask God to show you, find times that you can carve out and make time to sit and not only talk to Him, but to listen for Him. Otherwise, you're like a football team that says it doesn't have time to huddle. How, good, how effective is a football team going to be if they say, well, the clock's running, we ain't got time to huddle. Let's just make this thing up as we go. That's crazy. Well, it's exactly the way most Christians live their lives, but it's still crazy. I ain't got time to pray. I mean, I pray, I'll ask him for stuff, but I ain't got time to sit and listen. I'm busy. And, you're just, and, and you can't figure out why you're living in defeat and, and catastrophe and why your, your, your life is falling apart. And you read these verses where God says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And you long for the abundant life. You long for the successful life. You long to have meaning and purpose in your life until somebody says that it's going to take time. You go, oh, well, that's the one thing I don't have. Well, you know it. Because we refuse to take time to listen to God, to sit to take an hour of your time, one hour out of 24. I challenge you to take an hour a day, every single... And you think, you're nuts. All my life, I've said, if I just had another hour a day, I could get some stuff done. I ain't got an hour to spare, nor do I. But I'm telling you, it's an investment. Time spent with God is not just time that's well spent... It's time that is invested well. And there have been things that God has shown me during that hour of prayer time. And I know people that do that a lot more than an hour a day, believe it or not. I do, I do sometimes myself. You, you get so hooked on this. You get so hooked into, into living in that joy and victory and hearing God's voice. You so long, especially if you're in the dungeon like Paul says, you so long to hear that uh, that voice of God that, that, that an hour is not even long enough. But, but I challenge you to say, you know what? Of all, if I have to cut my TV, I'll cut an hour of TV out. I could pray an hour a day. I'll pray on the way to and from work. I'll just turn the radio off. I'll pray while I'm working out. I can pray while I run on a treadmill or ride a bicycle or whatever. But I will give God an hour because not that God needs it. I need it. I want to live in that kind of victory. I want to have life that has purpose and meaning. So then the really difficult question is this. Do you really trust God with everything in your life? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways acknowledge Him. In all of your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. But you have to acknowledge Him in all your ways. You can't say, God, this is what my agenda is, and I'm going to do my agenda, but I will do my very best to carve out 15 minutes for you at the end of the day. That's not acknowledging Him in all your ways. We're talking about a lifestyle change. Being connected with Him all the time, every day. Spending time not only listening and praising and worshiping Him, but listening for Him. Asking for His wisdom. Not making a move until He tells us that it's okay to move. But the really difficult question comes in, do you really trust God with everything in your life? Now, I get this, and this is the last point, so don't worry. We'll get you home in time to take your medicine. So far, nobody's alarms have gone off, and nobody's looking at their watch. That's a good sign. But I I won't hold you long, but I need you to understand this. Because, see, everybody in here, if we said, raise your hand, do you trust God, would raise their hand. I mean, we're in church. I could have stayed in bed this morning. Okay? God's important because I had other stuff I could have done. I cared enough about God and learning about God to come to church this morning. So everybody in here is at a level where if I said, do you trust God? You'd say, oh, absolutely. So now, do you really, really? Tr- oh, absolutely. Because we really believe we trust God. We really do. But very, very few of us really do. Do you really trust Him with your kids? Do you really trust Him with your money? With your marriage? With your job? With your future? If the job you've got is crappy... <laughs> Can you say that from the pulpit? If, if the job you have is, is crappy and you get offered a job that pays twice as much in a better environment and you say, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to make twice as much or stay here in this miserable situation because you've got something for me to do here? I ain't asking that. I'm taking the twice as much. Why? Because I don't trust God. I'm afraid he's going to make me stay where I'm at. Right? You, trust, you say you trust God? Do you trust Him with your money? Are you willing to say, okay, God, I, you know, I don't have a whole lot, and I'm trying to tithe and all that stuff, and, and, uh, you know, but by the time I make the house payment, God, I mean, I hope you understand, you know, by the time I make a house payment, and, and i got to pay for that SUV, and, I, and we, you know, we got that minivan, because we got to get to work every day, and, and uh, you know, the bass boat, because, you know, God's got to have some entertainment, and, and, and by, you know, geez, I'm trying to tithe God, but by the time I pay for all that stuff, you know, there's just not much left. God says, okay, then sell one of your cars because I need you to give $2,000 for these guys to go to Africa and build a, a roof on a church. You want to do that? Uh, no. Why? Because you don't really trust God. He could give you that. You, if you gave your SUV up to put a, a roof on some building in Africa where 500 people are going to get saved over the next five years, God can give you that SUV back ten times over. But we don't trust Him enough. And we say we trust Him. And I know we really think that we mean it. Until it gets down to saying, God, what do you want me to do? What if He tells me to sell my house? What am I supposed to do? This economy's bad. What if He says sell my house? What if He says quit my job? Then what? What if He makes me sell my bass boat? God's got to have some fun. What if He? Because we're scared death is going to take everything away from us. I've known times when my mom and dad... 
when they had missionaries come over and stay with them and that kind of thing. I knew one time in particular, I didn't, they didn't tell me a whole lot about their business. We just didn't discuss, you know, like you wouldn't discuss all your financial matters with your kids and that kind of thing. And, but I remember this one time because I was in the hallway when they were talking about it. And, and uh, she said, I think, my mama said, I think we need to give him money. He didn't, the, the missionary had never asked for money. The Lord told my mama, uh, you need to give him money. And dad said, I think the same thing. God's been impressing me that we need to give him money. And she said, the only thing I've got left after tithe and, and the bill, the only thing I've got left is the house payment. God said, give it to him. So she tore up the house payment check and gave the whole house payment to the missionary who had not asked for money because God told her to. That'll mess up your credit rating. You can't do that. You know what happened? The next day in the mail, God sent her that same amount of money back from some place that she never even knew that they were sending her money. The next day. Same amount. He's just crazy like that, God is. It's like he's got a thou- cattle on a thousand hills or something. He can just, you give it to him and he just gives it back to you. It's crazy. But most of us will never know that because we don't trust him enough to give it to him to begin with. We say that we trust him until he tells us to do something with our kids or to do this or do that. We go, oh, no, I can't. Because we're afraid. You know, we're, we're scared. We've got to take care. We've got to protect our kids. And God's saying to send them over here or to send them to this school or to, or to do this. Or, or, oh, we can't do that. Because we're scared because we know what's best for our kids. So we say that we trust God. So the hard question of the week, and this is what I have to leave you with, is do you really trust God? Because if you really trust God, and you say, you know what, I don't know that I have in the past, but I really want to, then the thing that you have to do is make an effort in that direction. You have to roll the stone away yourself. You have to make a commitment to to. to to try to trust God. Even though you think that you do, say, God, I will go anywhere that you want me to go. I'll give you anything. Blank check, God. I'll just give you a blank check. You can have anything I've got. I don't need, I, the only reason I got a car is because you gave it to me. You can have it back if you want it. I'll sell it. Just let me know. The only reason I have a house to live in is because you gave it to me. It's yours. I'll sell it if you want me to. I'll move. I'll sell my bass boat. I don't care. I'll give you my savings because you know what? I feel really safe with that savings, in the ca- savings account. You know, it's not very big, but I got that. So, but you know what? If you want it, God, I'll give it to you. Why? Can I give you my savings? Because I trust you that much. Because my that savings account's not where my hope and my peace and my joy is at. That's not where my trust is at. It's in you, God. I'll give it to you if that's what you want. See, this is all good with me until I start talking about money. See? We don't really trust God because we're afraid he's going to wipe us out. Take advantage of us. We don't want God to take advantage of us. And that's what we're afraid of. Scared to death, he'll send us to Africa. I can't tell God I'll do anything. He'll send me to Africa. I've known a lot of people that have gone to Africa, including this group that went from our church. I've never known a single one of them that went kicking and screaming. Because God laid it in their heart that that's what they need to do. And they have got purpose and meaning and joy that the rest of us will never know unless we live in that kind of the center, dead center of God's will. So the hard question is, do you really trust God? And that brings us to our time of decision. Because now we have, now we have an outline for what it looks like to pray. Stand with me, if you will. And I'm going to ask you to make a decision this morning. Do you really trust God? Are you, are you honest enough to say, 
I kind of thought that I trusted God, but I don't really trust God, but I really want to trust God. And so today I'm going to really start trying to trust God. I'm going to roll the stone away and see what he'll do. Maybe some of you are here saying, <clears throat> I don't even know what you're talking about because I know who Jesus is, but I've never, I've never asked him to forgive me. I've, he doesn't live inside of me, so I don't have that kind of peace and victory. That's the starting place. And if you'll come to me, I'll show you how you can have the Holy Spirit live inside of you, how you can accept Jesus and know for all of eternity that you're going to heaven. Some of you just may need to, to come to the altar and say, God, I really, really want to live this life from today on. I want to live this life the way that you want me to live it. I want, you, I want to know your agenda, not just keep asking you to bless my agenda. Whatever the decision is, now's the time to make it while, she, while Jill sings. Okay? You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.